Hello and welcome to Mother Bodies, the podcast about health after birth and why it matters. I'm your host, Rosie Taylor. I'm a health journalist and I'm also a mum. In this series, I'm asking some brilliant, wise and witty guests to share their thoughts on how the politics of postnatal health affects us all and the big ideas which could change our lives for the better. Most importantly, we'll also be sharing our own stories of health and recovery after birth and our honest experiences of motherhood. That's because it's only by sharing our stories that we can empower each other to ensure we all know what to expect and to make sure we all get the care and support we need, both after birth and throughout motherhood. This is Mother Bodies. Welcome back. So in this episode, I'm thrilled to be speaking to Karina White. Karina is a queen of multitasking. She's a freelance brand specialist and a business owner, but she's also a school governor, a public speaker, a board member of the Black Collective of Media and Sport. And most importantly, from our perspective, she's the co-host of the brilliant podcast Black Mums Upfront. If you haven't already heard it, it's a fantastic show where London-based mums talk candidly about their experiences of motherhood and they're not afraid to tackle head-on difficult topics like inequality and breaking down stereotypes. But there's plenty of laughter and some really hilarious anecdotes as well. I started by asking Karina if there was anything that inspired her to start talking publicly about her experiences of motherhood. This is what she said. I just think it's the collective experiences of motherhood and being black mums that when you're trying to look for support or you're trying to look on forums for answers to questions that you might have, you go on to like the popular uh, parenting forums and you can ask a question and nobody answers. You can kind of literally hear a pin drop in the forums because nobody is answering. But if you ask, you know, how do I make my kids Easter hat or you know what can I give my child for a cough you get so many responses but if you say something like oh I have a mixed heritage child or I have a child with afro hair or you know I have a black child can anyone give any advice on what to use in their hair to stop it drying out or what to use on their skin to stop it drying out there's literally no answers and it became very apparent that actually a lot of these conversations take place amongst your friendship groups and, and amongst your social circles. But what happens if you don't have those friendship groups, if you don't have those social circles, where do you find support in hearing stories from mothers that look like you or have similar experiences? So I think, you know, since we've launched the pod, we get people that reach out to us from all over the world. We had an email from somebody in Singapore recently saying they relocated to Singapore and they listened to us and it's like being back home in the UK around their friends and, you know, they just had a baby as well. It basically was just very, very apparent that we have these conversations in our social circles offline, but there was actually nowhere online that was catering to the experiences of Black or Black mixed mothers. Oh, that's amazing that platform that you that you're now giving people to have those conversations but I'm really I mean maybe this is really ignorant of me but I'm really surprised that there you know I'm sure we know what sort of mothering forums on the internet you're just talking about but there, there but there, there was no place where black moms felt comfortable talking and exchanging information like that no, at all. And even like during the peak of Black Lives Matter following George Floyd, you you could even go on there and just see kind of the conversations that were taking place and just the level of microaggressions and stereotyping 
that goes on in those forums and in those spaces. And they weren't safe spaces for black mothers or black mixed mothers or of white mums that might be raising mixed heritage children or mixed children. It just was not a safe or informative space for them. And I think for us, we always get asked, why black mums? Why black mums up front? You know, motherhood is universal. We all have the same experiences. And yes, in some regards, we do have the same experiences. But similar to how somebody who might be from a Scottish background will have a complete different experience to somebody from an English background or somebody with an American background, it's very, very similar. And we're not saying that, you know, the way that we parent or our cultural influence are more superior or mean more. We're just saying actually there's a lot of mums out there that don't have access to those social circles, like I said, or those friendship circles. And actually parenting and motherhood can be very isolating at times. So in an era where we're very digital and very tech led, why not have a space where people can, you know, log on and listen in their own time to mums discussing things that impact them whilst also having a laugh about it as well, or log on to our Instagram page and see us, you know, experiencing those universal mothering faux pas like you know not doing the washing and forgetting school uniform or forgetting to wash the pee kit and things like that so yeah because I do that a lot by the way I I do that a lot Um, I mean I'm a little bit different because my daughter's in secondary school so she can definitely do her own washing but there's definitely a mad rush normally on a Sunday evening like ah no one's washed mum did you wash my uniform Uh, no did you wash your uniform no and then it's not dry by Monday morning and then we're like there like with the hairdryer trying to like dry shirts and yeah so mums I get it trust me yeah absolutely and I think what you said is really interesting because yeah in some way having a child is a universal experience you know a huge number of people go through it but actually all of us have an individual experience don't we and and that experience is shaped by our culture and where we live and the services we have access to and you know like you say for everyone that might look a bit different and you need support that reflects your experiences on that note I just wondered what your experiences were like after you had your daughter in terms of like whether you were given the sort of support and help that you needed at that time? Um, I think coming from a big Caribbean family, Jamaican family, it was very typical that, you know, everybody mucks in, aunts, uncles, god brothers, god sisters, god parents, like everyone mucks in and always helps out. And I think my situation was slightly different because my mum passed away when I was 17. So when I had my daughter when I was 25, I didn't have that. I didn't have my mum to be there and stay over and help me with my daughter. I didn't have that at all. So I think my family definitely even more so kind of mucked in and wanted to help out simply because they knew that I didn't have that support from my own mum to say, oh, well, this is what you were like when you were a child, or this is what I did with you when you wouldn't go to sleep, or this is how I swaddled you. I didn't have that. So I think my family definitely all kind of mucked in. My sister, my cousins, they were all my aunts. Like everyone was always coming around, ringing me to make sure I was okay. So I definitely had that support. But I also recognised that 
there's a lot of people that don't have that support. Like one of my friends, none of her family live here. Like her mum lives in the Caribbean, her brother lives in the US. And so none of her family are here. So I'm literally like her little sister. So when she had her kids, it was like I was going around there. I was there when she gave birth. Like I was her second birthing partner. Like I was there to make sure she was okay. And I think it's interesting that people have so much different experiences when it comes to motherhood or when it comes to their experience of motherhood or even pregnancy really everybody has such different experiences you know if you're a mum that may have lost a baby previously the way that you then experience motherhood when you have your rainbow baby might be completely different to somebody else who hasn't had that previous experience but for me I was really lucky because I definitely had like my friends and my family around and they even up to now you know my daughter's turning 13 I still have that massive support system so I'm massively massively grateful to my friends and family that I have around me that have kind of winged it through parenting with me. No, it sounds like you have an amazing village, which is definitely what we all need. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally feel for your friend. I'm not in the same position of family abroad, but all my family live hundreds of miles away and, and it's hard, you know, doing it all on your own. So she's so lucky to have a friend like you there to sort of step in and be her sister for her. Yeah, I mean, the birthing experience was fantastic because I don't remember my birthing experience. Yeah. I just wanted it over and done yeah. because I was in pain. But, you know, being able to be on the other side and seeing her give birth and helping her to give birth, I think that definitely opened up my eyes to a new meaning of what it means to bring a child into this world and bring new life into this world. Because when you're a mum and you're going through like labour, you don't really have the chance to grasp what it really means because you're more focusing on I just want this child out of me because I'm in pain that I'm pushing like the size of a melon through a tiny hole in my vagina like I just want it to be over whereas being on the other side and being someone's birthing partner it definitely opened up my eyes to a complete different experience it was brilliant well, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I have friends who are midwives and sometimes I'm like, how do you watch women give birth? And they're like, oh, no, it's amazing. It's so beautiful. It's the most wonderful thing. And I'm like, it just my experience is just, you know, fairly awful. I just wanted it over. Like, but I suppose when you're in it, you you don't have time to sort of step back and think about the wonderful meaning of life. Whereas when you're yeah. supporting someone and seeing the incredible thing that your friend is doing, that must be really sort of awe-inspiring. Definitely. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you, because obviously there have been these really horrific headlines recently and, well, in fact, for a disappointingly long time about black women having disproportionately large numbers of problems when it comes to giving birth in the UK. Um, so black women are five times more likely to die in the perinatal period. And there was a recent report that showed they were also more likely to become seriously ill and more likely to experience poor care during or after labour. And I just wanted to ask you really whether this was an experience that you had seen reflected in the conversations that, that you've been having as, as part of Black Moms Up Front, but also like what you think is causing these problems? What is the sort of root cause of this inequality? I think there's a lot of different reasons in, as to what's causing those stats. I think in the last year, literally in the last year, I think it's gone down to four times more likely to die during childbirth. And I think 
even though that statistic's gone down, it's still unacceptable. It shouldn't be that women, black women specifically, are dying simply because they're trying to bring a new life into this world. When you go into countries that are populated by a majority black demographic, i.e. within Africa or within the Caribbean, those statistics are nowhere near as high. So when people say, oh, maybe it's something that they're predisposed to, maybe it's something that's genetic, it's like, actually, no, it's not something that's genetic. It's not something that we're predisposed to. We are being failed by maternity services. We're being failed by healthcare services. We're being failed by institutions. And as a result, people are dying. I think it, there's a lot of different factors that come into play, but I do think a lot of it comes down to discrimination and racial discrimination discrimination and institutional racism in fact um I remember when I was giving birth to my daughter and um I look quite young I'm nearly 40 but I look really young so when I was like 25 having my daughter I looked super young like early 20s late teens so I guess they thought that maybe I was like a young mum so when I was saying to them you know I feel like the baby's coming they were like, no, 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 it's not. You're fine. Stop being dramatic. And I was like, no, I can feel the baby coming. Like, no, you're being dramatic. We just checked you. You're only two centimetres dilated. You're fine. And what had happened was when I'd first got into the hospital, I was two centimetres dilated. They checked me. They sent me to the toilet to go and get a urine sample and come back. And they literally had me in like a broom cupboard type room. Like it was tiny. And I'm standing there having this argument with the midwife saying to her, no, I literally can feel the baby coming. Like I'd had so many conversations with my friends and they were like, when the baby's ready to come, like you literally feel like you want to poo. Like it's like you can't hold it. You just want to poo. And that's what I was feeling. I was like, no, the baby's coming. They're like, no, 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 she can't be. You're being dramatic. And my daughter's dad basically said, like, listen to her. She's telling you that the baby needs to come, so you need to check her. And when they checked me, I was fully dilated. Wow. And she was like, oh, right, okay, we better move you. And I remember them trying to move me into a labour room because, remember, they had me in a broom cupboard. And as I got into the hallway, like, where the nurse's station and everything is, like, I was just having contraction after contraction after contraction. And afterwards, they said, like, we literally thought you were going to give birth in the hallway and I'm like because you wasn't listening to me I know my body like I know my body yes it's my first child but I know my body and so the fact that they weren't listening to me said a lot to me like how that experience is translated and is replicated across a lot of women's care and I'm not saying it's just universal to black women because it's not I've spoken to so many women who say that they don't feel like they're listened to when it comes to maternity services when it comes to being in labor but it happens so often specifically for black women especially because there are preconceived concepts that black women can tolerate pain that they have you know the stereotype that black women have a higher pain threshold so when you're telling people that you're in pain and you're telling doctors and nurses that you're in pain they're not listening to you because there's that stereotype that black women have a higher pain threshold so they're denied pain medication and as a result of that actually not only are they put through unnecessary pain but it can also lead to complications which ultimately can result in death but like I said I do think there's a lot of factors that contribute to those statistics of four and five times more likely to die during childbirth but I think what it completely boils down to is institutional racism within medical and healthcare services. Yeah, and it's really interesting that you said that you're accused of being dramatic 
because that is something that like black women so often get accused of being for you know having opinions about anything really yeah. but but you know you were in that situation where you were in labor and you knew what was happening I mean you don't doubt it do you when you're in labor and you can feel your baby literally coming out of you you know what's happening literally like li- I literally could feel her head like at the entrance <laughs> to my vagina I mean it's not a literally. sensation you can confuse with something else no <laughs> like literally at all and they're like oh your water's ever broken and we just checked you it was crazy the time it took me to walk from the room to the toilet go wee and come back I had gone from two to 10 centimeters fully dilated I mean that is pretty yeah it is really fast yeah I mean that is crazy like it happens right so the fact that they were like no you're being dramatic I was like I know people that don't even know that they're in labor first they know is when literally it's time to push so yeah (laughs) And yeah, this leads me on because you, you know, you've spoken about this amazing village that you have around you in terms of, you know, when we talk about you need a village to raise a child, all of your friends and your family that have been really supportive. But do you feel like you've had the same kind of support on like a medical level? Have healthcare professionals been there for you when you needed them to be? I would say I've never really needed them, but I was very, very conscious when I first had my daughter of having any healthcare visitors come and visit, taking her to appointments, just simply because I've heard stories and around kind of, you know, overzealous health visitors where a baby might have a cough or something like that and it's being blamed on a mum and then social services are involved. And so I was very, very weary and, and aware of that. And I think the only thing I would probably say is when my daughter was born, she failed her hearing test in the hearing test they give you in hospital. And so she had to go for a follow up hearing test a few weeks later. And um, I remember them saying it's very common with babies from, you know, your heritage, black babies. And I was like, okay, fine. And you kind of just take it as a given. Even in pregnancy, they thought I had um, gestational diabetes because I had the worst morning sickness. I had that literally from the moment I was probably like a month and a half pregnant right up until I gave birth. I had the worst pregnancy. And I remember them saying, actually, maybe you have diabetes because it's very common in black women. And we always hear this, oh, it's very common in black women. Oh, it's very common in black babies. And it becomes like it's just like a throwaway comment that actually there's no substance to it. There's no data to back it up. It's just a throwaway comment. I didn't have diabetes. They'd sent me for the diabetes test and everything didn't have diabetes. And then when my daughter went for a follow-up appointment, the same thing, it was like, yeah, it's very common in black babies to fail their hearing test. And I was just like, whatever. She would have been maybe three, four weeks old when she had that hearing test. Fast forward to her being in nursery and her nurse who was saying, you need to go and get her hearing tested because she's not listening to words. She's watching your mouth. That's how she's learning to talk because she's watching your mouth and she's watching the way that your mouth moves. And that's how she's learning to talk because she wasn't actually hearing anything. She was just watching your lips. And when we took her for the hearing test, she did have a buildup of liquid in her ears which they said has likely been there since she was a baby so I don't know whether her hear whether when they did the second hearing test it was at a level that was acceptable 
for that age or whether they just said oh yeah it's fine she's fine because it's normal in black babies and she then had to have an operation when she was about three four to have her ears drained but it's things that I, I don't think that with something like that I can't put it down to the fact that she was a black baby or I was a black mum but when you pair it with kind of throwaway comments such as oh it's normal in black babies or it's normal for black women it's like every negative thing can't be just something that is normal for black women like I I don't want to have to start asking for data to back up those comments but that's what it starts to feel like sometimes absolutely and also just because something is common in Mm -hmm. a certain ethnic group doesn't mean that it's okay or that it doesn't need treating so you know but just sort of go oh well you know black babies quite often fail their hearing test well does that mean there are lots of black children who could need some help with their hearing or you know if we went by the statistics like well it's normal for more black women to die during labor like that's not okay that's yeah it's not okay and it's not normal yeah exactly common but it's not normal i can imagine how frustrating that must have been when you realize that your daughter could have been walking around for three and a half years not hearing what she was supposed to be hearing and missing out on all of those sounds. Yeah, exactly. Like they basically described it as to her, it would sound like trying to listen to something whilst you're underwater, oh, which is what her. it must have sounded like to her. Yeah. <laughs> so all those times you're beautifully singing to her and stuff. Yeah. Her dad, her dad would start going, can you hear me? And I was like, well, stop doing that to her, leave her alone. She can hear, it's just a bit muffled. <laughs> but yeah, she's fine now. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to ask, because I heard you on the amazing Why Mums Don't Jump podcast, and you were speaking to Helen there about some continence issues that you'd had, and that you sort of have only just been started talking about, but you said that it has been something that has affected you for a long time. And I wonder whether you could just share a little bit about what has happened to you and then how that affects you. Yeah, like, I have the weakest bladder ever. I'm talking like, if I drink something or I'm out drinking, or I'm at a party or something, or out with my friends, it's like, I literally will be in the toilet six times in the hour. Right. It was ridiculous. Um, so it was like a running joke with my friends. They'd be like, Karina, don't forget to use the toilet before we leave. Don't forget to use the toilet. Don't go to the toilet. But then it was getting worse and worse. And it would be things like, I'm wetting myself, and I can't get to the toilet in time. And it's like, as soon as I feel like I need to use the toilet, I've got to go. And if I was drinking alcohol or anything like that, it was worse. And again, it was like, oh, going to the doctors. And they were like, yep, it's just normal. It's normal. You know, after you've had a baby, normal. Pelvic floor, yep, normal. Like all of these things just kept, I mean, like I said, my daughter's 13 this year. This has been going on for 13 years. Keep getting told, it's normal, it's normal, it's normal. And And again, it's common. It's not normal. Yeah, and it's common. Yep, it's common. Like, yep, it's normal. Like that's what happens when you have a baby. And so many of my friends say the same thing like they've had a baby they've got a weak bladder and I was just like this is crazy and it got to the point where I think I was out with my friends and we'd gone to a day party we'd been drinking 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 and we got up to go and I'd really been to the toilet and we got up from the table to go and I was like actually let me go and use the toilet and I got up and all of the weed just came out and I was like oh my god like I didn't know what to do and I'm again I'm so glad I've got the friends that I've got because they didn't even like 
bat an eyelid. One walked behind me with their jacket. One walked in front. And luckily it was like dark by this point. So you couldn't really like see anything. And I had a dress on as well. So they walked me to the toilet so I could like wipe myself up. And then we left. But no, they were just like, yeah, you really need to go and get that sorted out, Karina. And I was like, I've been trying but um yeah after waiting I think I literally went to my doctors in tears just before the pandemic they were like yep going to refer you then the pandemic hit and I think last year again went back to my doctors when this happened the incident like literally just gushing out went to the doctors in tears and I was like I can't live like this like it's actually embarrassing I cannot live like this so they referred me again because obviously due to the pandemic the previous referral just got lost and literally I think the referral was made in June last year and my appointment was in March this year and I had my appointment and I I remember cussing because I was like it's a telephone appointment how can you have a gynae appointment and it's over the telephone But the consultant that I spoke to, she was absolutely brilliant, told her everything. And she said, it sounds like you actually have urge incontinence. She was like, so I'm going to prescribe you some tablets. And she basically was saying they come from a group of tablets that some of them work, some of them don't. It's just trial and error. So the first ones that she gave me did nothing at all. And the second lot that she gave me, I've been taking them now since April. I've got a follow-up appointment with her, but been taking them since April. And it's absolutely fantastic. Like, Amazing. I can go out and drink and drink and drink and not feel like I need to go to the toilet like every two minutes. I went to a day party about a month ago and we had been drinking on the coach up to the party was drinking at the party and I think I used the toilet when we picked up my cousin then I used the toilet once at the party and then didn't need to use the toilet until I got home that's such a change to your life yeah no honestly because it would be I'd if I if it was like a normal thing like that and I've gone out with my friends I literally would be in the toilet like six seven times and would you be really worried about doing something like getting a coach as well oh yeah yeah like wouldn't or I would get on the coach but I wouldn't drink or I would never wear trousers going out would never wear a jumpsuit nothing now I feel much more confident to go out and drink and wear trousers or wear a jumpsuit because what I would have to do before is kind of preempt that I might need to use the toilet and go before I feel like I need to go. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, even if I do feel like I need to go, I ca- I've got time to go and, you know, use the toilet. Whereas before it would be like, yeah, nah, I, I need to go now. <laughs> yeah, like I'm potty training my toddler at the moment. So I can imagine exactly the sort of time frame that you have between thinking about it and the doing yeah. it is, yeah, seconds. Oh, yeah. bless you. I mean, it, I mean, it's amazing. I'm so pleased for you that these tablets are working because that obviously made a huge difference. But I'm also so sort of like disappointed for you that it took so long for you to get to this point. So your daughter's yeah. 13 before you were given yeah. some help. Yeah. Have you been asking for help all along or did it also take you a long time to ask for help? No, I was going and saying and they were like, it's normal. Is this from kind of like six week check onwards? Yeah, yeah. And so going like over the years and then it was just kind of like because I'd been conditioned by medical professions to think it's normal. And it's only speaking to people, they were like, it's not normal. Don't have them tell you, oh, you need to, you know, do this and do the wee diary and all of that stuff. So 
I went through all of that before and they were like, yep, your bladder looks fine. Yeah, it's just as a result of having a child, like literally did the wee diary, did where they sent me for like, I think it was like an ultrasound, did all of that. And so I just was conditioned to think this is life. I just have to learn to live with it. And so one of my friends was like, no, you shouldn't have to live like that. You need to go and see someone. So yeah, if anyone else is listening and they have similar, please just really do go to your doctors and just say, actually, no, this isn't normal. It's not okay. I'm not going to live with this and have them refer you or sort you out. That's excellent advice because I think we just don't get that information, do we? And and like when we do try and go and seek help, like you did multiple times, it is so disappointingly common for women to be sort of dismissed and sort of said well you've had a baby what do you expect it's like I expect to be able to leave the house without weeing please like (laughs) that would be really nice (laughs) literally (laughs) so um I just want to ask you a final question which I ask everyone that comes on the show but what one thing do you think we could change about the world that we live in that would make life better for new mothers I think so two things Not necessarily for new mothers, but I think when we need to stop putting gender norms out in society. So one big thing that I hear a lot of my male friends complain about is that there's no changing facilities in men's toilets or men's bathrooms. I think that needs to be implemented because dad's parent too. They need to change their kids when, you know, they're out and about. I think that's one. And two, I think we we really, really, really do. And I know there's lots of people like Pregnant and Screwed that are, you know, campaigning within that space. But we really do need to look at the childcare costs in this country because it really is affecting mums and females specifically because they're the ones that are being forced to give up work or to pay astronomical levels of childcare fees. And so, yeah, I just think we need to really look at the childcare system here and the cost of childcare. And then on the flip side, really, I think companies really need to look at their paternity leave as well, because the fact that a woman is expected to rely on her partner for two weeks post giving birth as the standard or the norm is absolutely crazy to me. I know a lot of companies that do extended paternity leave as standard. I know one of my friends, they shared their paternity leave with their partner and she did six months and he did six months and he said it was the best six months of his life. He was able to bond with his daughter, but a child still needs both parents. Why do you have to share paternity and maternity? Why is it not just a standard that a dad has the choice of how much paternity leave that he takes and gets paid for rather than two weeks and then off you go, mate, back to work. Mum's all right, you know. And I think that also, you know, those people that are in relationships, I do think it impacts mum's mental health massively when you, especially if it's your first child, you've just had a baby and you're expected to just get on with it by yourself after two weeks. Crazy. Yeah. And that two week point is almost like, I remember when my son was sort of just under two weeks old talking to my husband and saying, you know, this is hard. This is really hard. But, you know, it's not. People say it's the hardest thing you've ever done. And it's okay at this point. Because, I mean, it was <laughs> tough. But we were like, you know, maybe we've had harder weeks at work and stuff. And then, like, you know, you, you talk another six weeks down the line. And you're like, this is this yeah. is definitely the hardest thing we've no, ever it's, done. It's, so, just, it's the lack that, of sleep. Yeah, it's the lack absolutely. Of sleep. <laughs> and absolutely. What, what do you do if you're up all night with a baby 
and you know your partner's got to get up in a couple of hours to go to work you're just like oh, fine I'll deal with it because you've got to get up and go to exactly. like it's just not fair that two-week point is almost like the worst time for your partner to sort of then get <laughs> yeah. up and go because you're like no yeah. I'm so tired now and they won't stop crying and I'm on my own yeah. and yeah. It, yeah and then like you say the the burden of responsibility shifts onto the mom because the dad has to go to work and you know we're yeah. trying to break out of these sort of patriarchic models but how can you when that is the system that we live in so yeah, yeah. I could rant about that for ages but I won't <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to me today you've been brilliant thank you so much for talking so candidly no worries thank you If you'd like to hear more from Karina, then please do listen to Black Mums Up Front. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow Black Mums Up Front and Karina on Instagram. I'll put links in the show notes. I've also put in there a link to the official NHS advice page, which details the medication that Karina is taking. Just in case you think that is something that might be helpful for you, at least you'll have the name and the details, and it can be something that you discuss with your GP or consultant. But as ever, please remember that nothing on the show is a substitute for proper medical advice. If you have any concerns about your health at all, especially about any of the issues that we've discussed today, then please do seek advice from a medical health professional like a GP, a women's health physio or a gynecologist. Thank you so much for listening today. Please do like us, follow us, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps please the algorithm gods and means more people will get to see and hear what we've got to say about postnatal health. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to leave us a review, even better. Don't forget, you can also follow Mother Bodies on Twitter and Instagram at Mother Bodies, where you can get highlights from each episode and some sneak previews of what's coming up. Thanks again and see you next time.